Well, good morning, everybody. Wow, I didn't expect that much energy. Thought you might have spent it all on Christmas celebrations. Not sure if you're aware of it or not, but Friday and Saturday ushered in the second busiest shopping period of the year. Anybody venture out for that? No, (laughs) there was some emphatic no from somewhere back in this section. It's estimated that $46 billion would be spent Friday and Saturday, um, not from sales, not from new purchases, but just from people who were returning or exchanging those less than perfect Christmas gifts that we're getting. Anybody get some of those? Gifts that didn't fit Gifts that were just not quite right. And then there were those Christmas gifts that were just a little weird. Some of those Christmas gifts maybe that you already had one of. And those Christmas gifts that you couldn't figure out how you were going to re-gift between Christmas Day and the last Christmas party. Right? So you exchange them. You take it back and you get a refund. Sometimes, no matter what people try to do, a Christmas gift is just off the mark. It's not something the other person wants. I think if we think just a little bit, it doesn't take much to figure out that every one of us has that relative or that friend who, no matter what they do, they just can't quite seem to get the gift-giving right. You got one of those in your life? Don't nudge them if it's the person next to you, okay? But we got one of those. Almost all of us do. And rather than try to describe the person, let me give you some examples of the gifts they give. Did some research on this this week. Some of the odd gifts that people give. For example, there was one woman who got a sweater for Christmas. Okay, so clothing is always a dicey gift to give. I gave up on that years ago with my wife. I don't buy clothes for her anymore. I'm smarter than that now. It took a few years, but I'm smarter than that now. This particular woman got a sweater for Christmas, and she took it back to exchange it. Nothing wrong with that, right? Except that she got this same sweater from the same person three Christmases in a row. It's a little weird. One of them wasn't getting the message, right? Or there was another woman who said, She got not a good Christmas gift to give, okay? So if you don't get anything out of the message this morning, this was worth the trip. She got the gift of a year's supply of Nutrisystem from her, it gets better, from her mother-in-law. That's a gift that sends a very clear message And reminder, every month when that package shows up at your door, here's your diet aid, sweetheart. Hope it helps. Not a good gift to give, an unwanted gift. Maybe the dumbest gift that I read about was a man, that's a given, who gave his wife on Christmas morning a mood ring. Now, I get it, okay? It's a strategic gift. It's a tactical gift. It's an early warning system. It's self-defense. 
Not a great Christmas present, though, right? I guarantee you, when she slipped it on her finger Christmas morning, the color of that ring was stone cold black. And it just stayed there for quite a while, I could imagine. Not, not a cool Christmas gift to give your wife, okay? I think we go through a lot of work to figure out the right Christmas gift, don't we? For the people we care about. And yet the one statistic that surprised me the most said of people surveyed, they said that 75% of us, three-quarters of the people, at some point through the Christmas holiday would lie. They'd open up a gift, at least one of their gifts, and say, it's perfect. I always wanted one. Thank you so much. It's just awesome. And they weren't telling the truth. They knew in their heart they were going to exchange it. They didn't want it. They didn't like it. It was an unwanted gift. Maybe you were there. Three quarters of you were if the survey was right. When we read the pages of Scripture, what we find is that for thousands of years, God was preparing to give a gift. He was preparing to send His only Son to this earth as a gift for mankind. Countless prophecies had been written in predicting the the birth of Jesus. Prophecies telling about the kind of life Jesus would live, the kind of death he would experience. The fact that he would rise from the dead to secure our salvation. The gift had been talked about, anticipated by the Jewish people for millennia. God was waiting for the perfect point in history to send his son. And so as we wrap up this month-long look at the scandalous love of God, as told in the Christmas narrative, I want us to look this morning at how that gift was received. In Matthew chapter 2, we find three very different reactions to Jesus' birth. Matthew writes this. He says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, let me know. Report it to me so that I can go too and worship him. After they listened to the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
of having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the Magi returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, because Herod's going to search for this child to kill him. So Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And so he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. So somewhere between one and two years after Jesus was born, the Magi came from the east and arrived in Jerusalem searching for Jesus. Now that's contrary to most of the nativity sets that you and I set up in our home that have them arriving to worship Jesus at the manger with the shepherds and Jesus in the manger with the straw and the sheep and the goats. By the time the Magi arrived, Mary and Joseph had set up a home in Bethlehem. And Jesus was somewhere between one and two years old. And in Matthew 2, the first reaction we see is a reaction from Herod. Herod was a fascinating historical figure. For all of his flaws, and he had a lot of them, he had one good thing going for him. From a political standpoint, he could keep order in what was always a turbulent region in the Roman Empire. He ruled with an iron fist. He had what you could say was an impressive list of personnel changes because of that. He had murdered two of his wives. He arranged for a drowning accident for his brother-in-law. And he hired hitmen to kill three of his sons. All of those relatives were personnel changes because he suspected that they were trying to plan his demise. He also arranged for uh, people to call him by titles that he chose for himself. One of those titles was Herod the Great. He liked that title because he had all kinds of architectural accomplishments in the region, one of which was helping the Jews to rebuild the temple that had been decimated. He had a lot of favor among the Jews. He decided on his own that he would live by their laws and their dietary standards. And because of that, because of the favor he showed to the Jews, he decided that he also wanted to be called the King of the Jews. Does that title ring a bell? So when the Magi showed up in Jerusalem and they started announcing that a child had been called, had been born, who was called the new King of the Jews, how do you think Herod would respond to that? The birth of Jesus seriously disturbed Herod's world. His world was tightly controlled. It was neat and orderly. And it stayed that way through intimidation and terror and violence. This new information brought by the Magi was a serious threat to Herod. The Jews didn't accept Herod as a king. Because Herod hadn't been born of David's lineage. 
What if the Magi were telling the truth? What if there was a new king of the Jews that had been born and he was nestled away in this small backwoods town of Bethlehem? If he was allowed to grow up, he'd be a serious threat to Herod. To Herod, Jesus was an unwanted gift. And so Herod responded in fear. He set a plan in place to dispose of Jesus. But the, but the Magi returned home without reporting back to Herod. And when he realized what had happened, he was furious. His fear led to great rage on his part. And so he sends his troops out into Bethlehem to massacre all the children under the age of two. I always thought, pictured in my mind, that would be hundreds of children. But historians say because of the size of Bethlehem in the region, more likely it was about 30 children that were killed. Still a tragedy. You and I aren't murderers. But we still possess that same tragic ability left our own, to our own devices to resist God's gift of grace. Often we do that out of fear. We look at God's gift and we think about accepting God's gift of grace and we respond the same way Herod did, out of fear. How will Jesus change my life if I accept Him? What, am I, what is He going to ask of me? What will I lose in my well-ordered world? In fear, we focus on what we can lose and we miss what we'll gain with this gift. Yeah, there's going to be changes. God's going to ask us to reorder the life we've been living. We're going to be asked to give up control, but we also gain. We gain a life that's free of guilt and shame. We gain a life where God changes some of these selfish ways we've been living in that inflict harm on the people we love and care about. We ultimately gain a life that's far better, it's richer, it's fuller and deeper than a life we could ever imagine without Jesus. Our fear causes us to focus on what we lose. And we miss what we gain in this life with Jesus. In addition to Herod, all Jerusalem was disturbed by the Magi and their question about where is this king of the Jews. By all Jerusalem, Matthew's likely referring to the religious leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And this news of the Magi coming to Jerusalem was probably the worst kept secret in town. The Western tradition puts the number of the Magi at three. That's what we've always talked about. We sing the song, We Three Kings. And that's largely based on the number of gifts. We assume gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so there must have been three Magi who came. But Eastern tradition puts the number at 12, which is probably more accurate. So you have 12 Magi coming on this search for Jesus. And these men were prominent and influential leaders in their country. They would have had a large entourage with them. They would have had individuals caring for their personal needs, and they would have had bodyguards with them. So the best estimate is this entourage that came into Jerusalem wasn't just three men riding into town on a camel. 
It was probably a group that came into town that numbered closer to 75 to 100 people who rode into the city of Jerusalem. And they rode in unaware of the political underpinnings of the question they were asking. They weren't aware of Herod's insecurities and the way he ruled. So they just rode into town and started asking, assuming everybody was celebrating this new king that had been born. So where can we find this new king of the Jews? And the question just started to create a buzz in the town and a turmoil. They didn't know that they were creating a turmoil, but they did. And it disturbed Herod, and it disturbed the religious leaders. Now, if the non-Jewish magi recognized that Jesus was Israel's king, how would the Jewish leaders respond? They had waited for thousands of years for the Messiah to be born. They knew all the teachings by heart from the Old Testament. They knew the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Hosea. They could quote the scriptures that talked about the coming Messiah. That's why Herod called them into this secret meeting to say, where would the Messiah be born? The prophets even wrote about and cautioned God's people that if they weren't careful, they would miss the birth of the Messiah. Isaiah was pretty plain about that. In Isaiah 53, he describes in great detail the life, the death of the Messiah. And he says that the Messiah would be despised, rejected by mankind, by his own people for claiming to be the Messiah. So the religious leaders heard the news from the Magi about the birth of the King of the Jews. They saw the star in the east. They had all the information. They knew the prophecies about the Messiah. They saw Herod taking action based on the news. And in spite of all the convincing information in front of them, these religious leaders were simply apathetic about what was going on around them. Now, we don't know if they were clueless or if they were just content with the way their life was turning out. But from everything we see, they simply sat back, relaxed, and hung a do not disturb sign on their heart. Whatever's going on with the Magi, whatever Herod's doing, whatever's happening down in Bethlehem, I'm just not interested, is what they seem to say. We can't be bothered. We have other things to attend to in our lives. They didn't do anything with the news. It's the saddest response in the whole narrative. It's the saddest response that I see in people's lives to the gift that God's offering us in Jesus. I see people make that response all the time. It's pretty hard to walk through the month of December, the Christmas season, and miss the message of what Christmas is really about. It's hard to walk through the Christmas season and not be confronted with God's gift of grace. And yet I think it's easy for us to get satisfied 
with our life, to get settled into our daily routines. Or to get so busy with life that we ignore the basic question of the Christmas narrative. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do? It's the central question of the Christmas season. Will we accept the gift that God offers to us? Will we at least unwrap it and take a look at it and see if we'll accept it? That may be why I love the Magi so much in this story. They may have been the least likely people on the face of the earth to walk into Jerusalem and announce that the Messiah had been born. But I think God chose them because they were open and curious. These 12 men came from the city of Babylon, one of Israel's ancient enemies. They traveled over 900 miles searching for Jesus. It took them weeks to get to Jerusalem. And by the time they get to Jerusalem, they are so close to Jesus. They're just six miles from Bethlehem. Based on what we do know, they weren't deeply devout Jewish people. They weren't Jewish by birth at all. Whatever faith they had was a mix of religious beliefs and astronomy and maybe even demonology and wisdom and magic. In their professional lives, they were political, scientific, and religious advisors to the king of Babylon. But the most important thing about these men is that they were willing to be open to the idea that God was moving in history. He was doing something new. He was offering a gift to mankind. One writer said, by including these wise men in the Christmas narrative, God was announcing, here come some more sinners. Here come some more spiritual and moral oddballs. Which is exactly what the Magi were. God took these ragamuffins by the hand and led them to Jesus. I love their courage. I love their curiosity. I love the willingness of the Magi. They didn't have everything all figured out before they started the journey. They had just a little bit of information. They had some pieces of the story. They had enough to know that this gift of God was worth investigating, worth checking out. And with a simple faith, they followed up on the information they had. We don't know the end of their story. Never hear about them again. We just know the beginning of their story. And the beginning is admirable. It's worth imitating. So as we wrap up this Christmas season and we wrap up this series about God's scandalous love, I have a simple but significant question this morning. What's your response to this gift 
from God. What's your response to Jesus? Have you left the gift set off to the side, unopened, unexplored? Maybe you've spent your whole life just listening to what other people have said about God or said about Jesus or said about the Bible. Maybe you've been hanging around Westridge for years. You've listened to Gordon and Darren and me talk about a relationship with Jesus, which that is the gift. And it's left you with some questions, but you've never, ever dug into those questions for yourself. And if that's you, I would suggest you have left the best gift that's ever been offered to you under the tree, unwrapped. I'm not asking you this morning to drive a stake in the ground and make a decision. I'm just asking you to open the gift. I'm asking you to simply explore the grace of God. yourself. Grab a Bible. Download it to your smartphone or your tablet. A great place to start is the Gospel of Mark. Read it for yourself. Read the teachings of Jesus for yourself. Don't let somebody else tell you. If you've got questions, grab somebody who's got faith in Jesus and ask. Don't argue. Ask. Let this be the Christmas that you unwrap God's gift to you. Don't politely set Jesus aside because your life is comfortable or your life is busy. Don't dismiss him as irrelevant or an unwanted gift before you look closely at what the love of God could mean for the rest of your life. Take the open-minded, curious approach of the Magi. Let this be the Christmas that you start your own journey for Jesus.